All right, it is Sunday, June 28th. I am Trent Reinsmith, your host for the Come On Now MMA podcast. And yeah, how about that fight last night on Saturday? Uh, Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker put on a a lightweight battle that's going to be in the running for fight of the year. I don't think it'll. I think it'll get some votes, but I don't think it'll. Uh, I don't think it'll win. I think that uh, Wiley Zhang and Joanna is still going to be the number one fight there so far. Still, I think that's still holding on as the uh, best fight of the year. But this one uh, couldn't couldn't be disappointed how this one turned out. It was just a really good fight, very entertaining. And the only thing I really have to say that is negative about this one is the pay. And you watch that fight, that's 25 minutes of action, 25 minutes of just two guys just throwing down, going for the finish. And I'm going to assume that Dan Hooker is still on a win-and-show contract, and I'm going to assume that Poirier might be because he wasn't um, recently. But the fact that someone somewhere is going to try and justify paying Dan Hooker half the money he should get for that fight because he quote-unquote lost is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean... There's a winner and a loser, and Poirier got his hand raised, but no, I mean, the win and show farce needs to needs to stop. There's no, you can't tell me that Hooker didn't deserve, doesn't deserve a full, a full payday for that. You can't say that he wasn't going for the finish. You can't say that about either of them. Uh, but yet, the MMA world and, and the UFC hold on to this useless win-and-show theory that does nothing but screw the fighters and, and give them half the pay they deserve. So the win-and-show needs to go. And this fight, again, an example that... It, it's that it, it's needed is is it, it's nonsense the win and show myth was created by by the UFC to to rip people off that's all and you know these guys already aren't getting paid enough Poirier and Hooker both deserve a seven figure payday for that for that fight and they're not going to get even close to that they're going to get a low six digit maybe maybe hooker will get that um but yeah the uh the amount of punishment these guys take for the so little pay is is just sad it's sad but great fight it'll be in the running for fight of the year um and there's nothing really else to say about it uh, at this point because it's it's I think everything that has to be said has been so 
um, yeah, I, I, if you're going to go out into a, into a break of two weeks, that's the kind of fight you, you want to leave fans with um, because there's, there was nothing bad about that fight. So both men really put it out there, left everything out there, and we'll see how fast Dan Hooker recovers from this one. He uh, recovered from the Felder fight ridiculously quick. Um, as far as physical injuries went. Um, but yeah, great fight. And props to both those men. Topic number two is the Reebok deal. Um, and this is brought up because of Sean O'Malley's pay, royalty pay from last week, where he said he sold a mil. Uh, he sold a million dollars worth of Reebok gear and his royalty payment for that was $3,000. And Reebok responded and said that more or less that he should take that up with the UFC because the payouts are in, each, in fighter contracts. That's how the pay is, is determined by, by each individual fighter's contract. With the UFC, Reebok just manufactures and distributes, I think, the, the, the gear. And then the UFC deals with the money from the pool that Reebok gave it. Out of that, uh, I guess out of that $70 million pool, plus any sale of fight kits, uh, t-shirts, etc., so anyway, O'Malley said that he was getting that he got a three thousand dollar royalty payout on a million dollars worth of sales, which doesn't really add up. Um, I would love to see the contracts on that. If anyone has any handy, it would be incredible to get uh, my hands on that and go through that to see how these Reebok royalties shake out. We know they shake out on the side of the UFC, which isn't a surprise, but to get three grand. On a million, that's painful. Um, the UFC did not comment, as far as I know, about this. So that's one for the for the MMA media that's traveling to Fight Island. Hit Dana White up on that one, and, and see what he has to say. Because that's a, that's a crime. That if if what O'Malley said is true, and they sold a million dollars worth of merch. And he got a three thousand dollar royal three thousand dollar royalty check off that. That is obscene. So any anyway, the uh, the Reebok deal is going to come to an end this year, and then there's going to be another fighting outfit, and it's it's likely going to be from what Dana White said, Nike or Under Armour, and I will not be surprised if it doesn't change much. As far as how the, the financials work, I would hope the UFC is going to be a little more open and a little more easy to work with than it was with the Reebok deal and, and getting some more individualized kits. So not everybody is, I mean, it was years, a couple years at least with just black or white. And then the colors of the flags, that kind of came in and but there was never any, it just never got to the point where anything felt individual and it didn't feel like just your interchangeable fight wear. 
So hopefully something gets worked out there. What I would like to see, and this is assuming that the financials are going to work out on the same kind of way they have so far, let the fighters add up to three individual sponsors on the kits, and that is on the t-shirts and whatnot for the pre-fight stuff, the jersey, uh, I mean the, the jacket on the walkout, the shorts during the fight. Let them have uh, three sponsors on those and let them work out their individual deals on those sponsors. Even just three sponsors that can get some TV time would be a, a big boost to the fighters' income. And it's a good look for the UFC right now. It would be a good look for the UFC right now because they're, they're taking a beating over fighter pay. So if they can bump that pay up without taking any money out of that the 80-20 split that, they're, that they have right now with the revenue, that, that's a win for everybody. I would hope the UFC, if they do open it up for a, a couple sponsors on the kits, that they would not have that farcical fee that they charged before. And it's just, that was unfair. So I would say, you know, allow the fighters to have three sponsors on their kits. If, but you got to vet those sponsors too. You don't want to have anything questionable. Any, uh, we know that a lot of fighter gear is, I'm, I'm sorry, some the shirts and the fan gear is uh, of questionable background on sometimes on some things and so I would have I would say yeah yes and definitely vet the the sponsors maybe develop a approved and unapproved list as this vetting goes on so you'd only so you only have to do the vetting once and maybe if a sponsor fails on their first try at least give them another shot and to see if they can get up to snuff as far as the quality of, of whatever made them fail the, the first the first vetting but yeah so let them have some some of their own sponsors i think that's a big 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 improvement and i don't think anyone would really complain if that happens especially if it boosts the the pay fighters can get and the ufc would lose nothing for that so win-win all the way around there so uh so again, I would hope also the increased opportunity for individual kits. Um, open it up a little more. Um, if if Bryce Mitchell wants camo, just give him camo. If someone wants to wear a kit, a pride kit, make that available. Uh, if Conor McGregor, if he ever fights again, wants to do something with his Irish heritage, make that happen. If a Brazilian fighter wants to have a more Brazilian-centric kit, make that happen if if and it pains me to say this if colby covington wants to have some kind of funky american kit make that happen but don't just stick with the basic colors and the flag colors and 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 that type of thing expand it open it up work with the fighters work with the company you choose do this in advance so that it's not a change during the the deal uh, and if you if the UFC is able to do that 
and the fighters can have some kind of control over the kits, I think that's another win for the UFC. And sure, they're still pretty generic fight kits. And if the UFC wants a, a, a uniform kind of look, they'll still have that. But it'll let fighters show a little bit of their individualism, a little bit of their personality. And that's a win for everybody there, too. Because I think if you're trying to sell these things to the public, a, a white hooded shirt, hooded zip-up hoodie, that's, with the name on the back, is just boring. Make these things a little more exciting, and the sales will, will should jump. Um, so yeah, and be a little. And then finally, on this, if there's still going to be a split for individual gear, be a lot more transparent on this, and let the fighters know up front. Here's the split. Here's how all the financials work. And if you sell a hundred thousand dollars of fight gear. Here's what you're gonna get. If you sell 200, 300, you know, up to a million, two million, this is what you're gonna get. This is how it breaks breaks down, and this is where the money goes. Because if you sell a million dollars in gear, and you're thinking you're gonna get 15% of that, which is what O'Malley's understanding was, and you get three thousand dollars, well, your first assumption is and maybe correctly, that you're getting ripped off. So figure these things out in advance. Be much more clear with everyone involved, and that includes the, the manufacturer of the gear, because I think Reebok got taken for a ride here as well. So everyone knows exactly what they're getting into. And I'm going to guess the fighters aren't going to have a choice in who gets, who gets the deal or anything of the financials, so at least the let them have a little more choice in what they're going to be forced to wear. And the big one, I think the big one, give them one to three sponsors on the, on the kits and that boosts their pay and it takes nothing out of the UFC's pockets. So that's something that I would really like to see. One thing I truly believe is that when it comes to scoring and UFC commentators, John Gooden is is at the top of the list there. He is excellent at breaking down and discussing what what scores and what doesn't during an event. He's especially good at doing this when it comes to takedowns and the fact that a takedown with no action after the takedown, according to the rules, scores you zero points. Now a slam, okay, I can give you that. I can give you something for a slam. But a takedown and then just just hanging out in guard on the mat after the takedown, not not trying to damage, not trying to advance. That's that's nothing. That should that should get the the fighter who scored the takedown nothing. So why do I bring this up? Because Josh Gross tweeted out, this out on on Saturday night. The analysis for scoring on the UFC broadcast needs to improve. They showed significant strikes and used those imperfect numbers to say how the scoring might look on the judges' cards. Completely ignored grappling and many other factors. Do better. 
and I 100% agree with, with, with Gross on this. He, that is on the mark. Striking is not the only, significant strikes are not the only things that, that score points. Now, if the whole round is spent standing, that's what you're going to focus on. But if there's grappling involved, if there's takedowns involved, paint a bigger picture. And also paint the correct picture as far as what scores and what doesn't and the criteria, the scoring. If you have to harp on the scoring criteria more than once or over and over and over and over, I say do that because there's too many people who either forget what the scoring is or just don't care or just have some kind of idea of their own on how to score a fight that goes against what the unified rules say. And I know it's confusing sometimes because of how the rules are written and not everybody follows the same set. All right, I'll give you that. But if that's the case, if there is confusion, try and clear that up. Work through that. Explain things a little better and in a little more detail and really show that there is a good grasp of the scoring criteria and if you repeat 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 eventually i think fans will start to get a better idea and we won't have to have these inane arguments every weekend about what scores and what doesn't and why a takedown without any advance gets you nothing so there's two options like i said here is one is have john gooden call all the fights which I'd be okay with because I think Gooden does a great job. Or two, everyone else follow his lead and do a better job of explaining the scoring and the potential scores based on the real scoring criteria and not what uh, what an, uh, someone's opinion of that scoring criteria is. So, yeah, I agree with Josh Gross here. Uh, commentators, they do need to do better when it comes to this facet of their of the calling of the of the fights. So late last week, the UFC had announced that it was upping its COVID-19 testing for the, the Fight Island cards, and I said that it looked really good to me. The only thing I saw that was missing was testing post-arrival back at, at their homes after the event. So about two weeks after they get back home, they should um, get retested. And that should be on the UFC's dime and part of the UFC's uh, COVID-19 protocol. That could change. Maybe they'll throw that in there. I'm not going to hold my breath. But what they do have here, and you can check out Mark Ramondi's story on ESPN from last week, is night and day as compared to what they started with, with, with in Jacksonville. So good progress there. And I like what I see. But revisiting Jacksonville and this was another Josh Gross tweet so Josh Gross is uh, has always been one of the best um, journalists in MMA uh, even if he is without a gig right now thanks to the uh, the, the reduction at uh, staffing at the athletic which not the best not the best uh, deal for those folks who got cut at the athletic, but what G Gross found out here, and I'll just read his tweet, and it was in reference to Ramondi's tweet on the story of the upgrade of the COVID-19 testing. Gross wrote, an upgrade from USV 
see Jacksonville. And this is the part where you should you know, tune in. I confirmed 54 of 68 fighters in Florida, including Jacare, were not tested before returning home or for weeks after. The other 14 were likely no, but I couldn't confirm. Zero of 68 is possible. And then it says this is better yet. Still up to the fighters to test at home. So that number, the the idea, and this is something that bothered me from the get-go, is that the UFC seems to end their involvement with this testing the, the day the fights end. And now this is going to improve in, in, in Fight Island because I believe here they're going to get tested before they leave Yaz Island. So that's good. That's a definite positive. But they're still not getting tested two weeks after they arrive home. And if they're flying and they're not on a flight that's just full of other UFC folks who were all tested this amount of times, well then they they should get tested two weeks after they arrive home. Now if it's if these are all charters with folks that are got that have got tested before they left, that's a little less urgent because they shouldn't have much contact other than their ride from the airport home. But they're still a little concerned. So I would still hope the UFC ups that but that they did nothing and they have no plans uh, to test home, it really strikes me as, all right, we got our fights done and now we can move on and think about something else. And that bothers me. So hopefully the UFC sends a better message here and changes this one small step in the protocol and adds another test two weeks after arrival home. And then you can tell me with a straight face that you care about safety and health. Now I still have I still have questions. Speaking of Fight Island, we know heading into this that uh, Paige Van Zant is going to fight out her UFC contract, and she's going to explore free agency after this event. And I don't know if this is the best time to become a free agent when the only. The only MMA folks who are putting on big events right now are the UFC. Well, that kind of limits your 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 options. But Van Zant is only twenty six. She's someone who has done good things outside of the sport as far as as far as getting her raising her profile getting other offers, getting other gigs, and getting herself noticed. So, yes, the UFC probably supplied those, some of those options, but she took advantage of them and really worked them, and good for her. So I think that wherever she signs, that will be another good option for her. And at 26, even though there's no fights happening outside the UFC right now, I still think she can take advantage of her celebrity and get herself a good deal if that if that promotion is willing to wait to things get back to, I guess, normal and that she can do other uh, television gigs and, and things of that nature. 
So I still think she does have a value there. And I still and I do think she'll be someone another promotion can can work with. I don't know if she's going to break the bank. I don't think she will um, because her record doesn't reflect someone that's going to be a shoo-in for a champion. I mean, when we saw someone like Roy McDonald or Gegard Mousasi, they were championship material when they when they left the UFC. I, I don't see that in Van Zant, and that's not a bad thing. It's not a great thing, but it's not the worst, and I think that her draw that drives her value down a little. But what she can bring outside the cage drives her value up a little. So it's a it's a tricky thing if if to get a promotion and a fighter to have a a relationship that really works in a situation like Paige Van Zant's. Um, I, I believe Bellator can probably make that happen. I don't. I don't think PFL can make that happen. I. I don't know enough about one, and how the. How they're really positioned. To believe that they they can make it happen, if they're going to try and make some more inroads into the states in North America, maybe. But if I was Van Zant and one was coming in, I would want to make sure, that they offered a lot more money for the fight contract than the other the other promotions because it's such a uh, such a new thing and we're really not sure financially where they legit stand so that's weird so get a good, get a good fight deal there uh, Bellator I, I think that there's more options to work outside the promotion there and probably more time too because of the way they aren't as aggressive and, and staging fights every weekend so it's going to be interesting to watch how this plays out at this time. So it's I do think she has options. I do think she can make some money here. Uh, other fighters, I'm not so sure, unless they're superstars. I'm really not sure how becoming a free agent shakes out unless you're in that, that top 1% to 5% of fighters in the UFC. And if you are in that in that upper echelon, the UFC has probably already locked you into a long-term deal that's going to be hard to get out of. So, going to be interesting to watch Paige Van Zant and see how this all develops for her as a free agent. Speaking of fighter pay, so Gilbert Burns is fighting Kamara Usman at UFC 251 and Burns spoke, and this story is from MMA Fighting, um, and he's playing, he's saying kind of the same things that Daniel Cormier is saying and playing into the hands of the UFC when, when he says this. So what Burns had to say about the pay he is getting for the Usman fight. I don't think that's helped. I don't think that's helping Masvidal's side. I think my case is a strong case. He was fighting in 2019. I'm already two fights in this year, two great performances. I believe I earned a title shot, but I understand those guys want more money and everything. I think there's a better way to get those deals done than just complain. So look, these fighters are complaining after the fact. Everything's broken down. That's when they're complaining. To 
to paint these guys as they just went right to the media before discussing anything with the UFC seems a little disingenuous, and it feels seem it feels a little ass kissing. Um, and I think that's what we're getting here from Cormier, and now we're getting it from Burns. So this trope needs to go away. And if you're if this if your inclination is to say that keep it behind closed doors, best best to say nothing. Because all that does is try to insinuate that these that these other fighters aren't doing things the same way that you are. But they are. They did. And it broke down for them. And it broke down for them because they wanted more money. They wanted what they felt they were worth and the UFC wouldn't give that. But don't try to paint them as the bad guys in this when we all know that it's an 80-20 split on the side of the UFC for who gets what as far as the revenue goes. So, try and at least pretend to have a united front when it comes to pay. And don't carry water for the UFC in, the, in, in this case because it looks bad. It doesn't help anybody. And it really, it really, really needs to stop. And on that note, I'm going to sign off for today. And until I come back tomorrow, everyone stay safe.